0: Hello and welcome to Teacher in Zion podcast, a podcast for Christians, Mormons, ex-Mormons and other Book of Mormon believers or anyone questioning their faith or the church with an emphasis on seeking the truth wherever it leads, but especially in gaining a closer relationship with Jesus Christ. I am your host, Doug Hatton. And this is episode 17 of the podcast, entitled David Whitmer, Voice from the Dust, Part 2. Today we'll be looking at the second part of Whitmer's letter, which is addressed to all those who claim to believe in the Book of Mormon. I use the word claim because Whitmer effectively makes the argument that most who say they believe the Book of Mormon are not truly following what it tells us. But before I get started... I want to share that while I don't agree 100% with everything David Whitmer wrote or believed, neither do I agree or disagree with anyone 100%. Whether it is David Whitmer, Sidney Rigdon, Oliver Cowdery, or Joseph Smith himself, they were, all of them, imperfect men. Under the new covenant with Jesus, they had no more privilege to hear from God and understand his ways than you do. I know a lot of you may have a hard time believing that, but it is true. And if you doubt that, it is a form of unbelief. Which unbelief accounts for why we lack in the spiritual blessings that were supposed to be ours? If we would just come out of that beggarly pig pen we find ourselves and claim our inheritance, which is made possible through Christ alone. The Apostle Paul states that while we're on this earth, we only know in part and see, as it were, through a glass darkly. This is why God calls upon us not to put our trust in men, even in good men, not even in a man who is called of God. Because every one of them has sinned and fallen short, even as the scriptures have concluded Every single one of them has made mistakes and fallen into error. As much as we'd like to have everything black and white and be able to say conclusively that we can trust everything Joseph Smith said and simply write David Whitmer off, or trust everything that David Whitmer has stated and write Joseph Smith off, the truth is that life is more complex than that. All have sinned and fallen short. Every man who ever lived was imperfect, and there is none whom we should place our trust in, only God. It is by the written word, even the Bible and the Book of Mormon, in concert with the Holy Spirit, that we can know the truth of all things and come to understand from Joseph Smith or David Whitmer or any man what is true and what is false. Understand that there may be truth in a given revelation which is still ultimately corrupted in some way, requiring a degree of discernment many still lack. But this is precisely how Satan deceives. He is known to quote the scriptures and include many truths along with the lies so that we will swallow the whole thing. Remember that it is Christ alone who never sinned or committed error. He alone can be trusted in all things whatsoever that he taught. And his record, his teachings, even the fullness of the gospel and his complete, full doctrine, nothing missing, is found in the Bible and in the Book of Mormon. And for that reason, the Bible and Book of Mormon must be our measuring stick, the bedrock of God's word, upon which everything else must be judged. This isn't according to me, but according to God himself. Read about it in the Book of Mormon itself and in the early revelations given to Joseph Smith through the Yerman and which state that we are to rely on the Bible and the Book of Mormon as our scriptures, and to preach out of those two books. Finally, I wish to be perfectly clear that I am not suggesting that anyone should throw out their doctrine and covenants. There are revelations from God in there. Though some of those revelations were later changed by men, so we must carefully study the matter out and go to God for clarification. Though the whole church fell under condemnation in 1832 for treating the Book of Mormon lightly, there is no cutoff date I can reasonably point to and say that everything before that point is of God and everything after that isn't. Thankfully, God doesn't totally abandon us when we begin to stray from the path. And as much as he is able, God will continue to try to direct or correct us. But what I will testify to in regards to the doctrine and covenants by the witness of the Holy Spirit is that it is definitely a mix of things. Some that are from God and some that are from man. And there are even some revelations that are from Satan. I do not say that lightly or without much study, prayer, and with the confirmation of the Holy Spirit. Believe what you will, but you can be sure that any revelation given by a man that calls upon us to act contrary to the gospel and doctrine of Christ under the new covenant, as revealed in the Bible and the Book of Mormon, assuredly comes from an evil spirit. And if we do not rightly judge these things but simply accept every revelation given by a certain man as being from God, regardless of its merit, and without proving them out, because we simply accept that person to be a prophet, then we are assuredly deceived. And as both the Bible and the Book of Mormon clearly state, cursed is the one who trusts in man. We receive the Bible by the providence of God, But because it has passed through the hands of many men and numerous translations over time, there may be some issues, though God assures us that it is still a trustworthy record. But in addition to this, God gave us the precious gift of the Book of Mormon, which comes forth to fill in any gaps and make plain any doctrine that may be less than clear in the Bible. This Nephite record was translated by the gift and power of God so that we would know that we could depend upon it. In fact, the voice of the Lord commands us to depend upon those things which are written therein, and we are assured that it is the fullness of the gospel, meaning it is missing nothing. And these two records God has told us through the words of the prophets are to be joined together into one in our hands, to the confounding of false doctrines, laying down contentions and establishing peace. Again, we are told that these two records alone are for this purpose. Never at any time did God tell us that there would be a third or fourth book added for that purpose. Other records were to come forth in time if we did not treat lightly what we had been given already. But these, two are the core scriptures, along with the Holy Spirit, that were to lead us in things pertaining to the church and the building up of the kingdom of God. Additional records were prophesied only to, quote, establish the truth of the first, end quote, not to subvert or trump them in any way. Additionally, in several of the revelations Joseph had received, God commanded them not to publish the revelations they had received. And yet they did. And it turned out to be the very cause of the printing press being destroyed in independence and the saints being driven out. So what are we to do with the Doctrine and Covenants? Do we throw the whole thing out? I have not done so. But if we do want to progress spiritually or even unify as a people, that book cannot be placed on the same level of authority as the two records god gave us expressly as our foundational scriptures everything in the doctrine and covenants or any other book or any modern revelation must be judged according to the words given to us in those two records now let us get into the substance of what david whitmer went to great pains near the end of his life to tell all Latter-day Saints, both the LDS and our LDS, or any other faction that exists today. His address to us begins, Dear Brethren, The Spirit of God moves upon me to send forth this epistle unto you. It is wisdom in God that these facts which I give to you have not been made generally known long ago, but now the Spirit of God has made it manifest to me to make them known. The time is at hand to prepare for the day when the gospel will go to the house of Israel. It has been made known to me that when the gospel goes to the remnant of Jacob, the Lamanites, it must go to them as Christ has given it to us, the fullness of which is in the Book of Mormon and the New Testament. I know that the Latter-day Saints are teaching some errors in doctrine, and I hope to convince the honest heart among them of this fact. It is a serious thing for man to add doctrines to the doctrine which Christ has taught in his word. Christ has taught that it is necessary to be abiding in his doctrine, and whosoever teaches more or less than that doctrine which he has taught in his word is not of him. He has taught but one doctrine. I do not mean to judge or condemn the Latter-day Saints. God is the judge. But I will speak the truth as the Spirit of God moves upon me to speak it. And I hope and pray that many will heed the truth, that they will lay aside all error and come in upon the doctrine of Christ as it is taught in the written word. I'll pause here in my reading to quickly touch upon what Whitmer is speaking of. I have spoken of it in other episodes of the podcast, so I will not labor upon it long. But if you will turn to Third Nephi, when Christ visits the Nephites and read his teachings there, you will find a point where Christ carefully outlines his doctrine, the only doctrine that is in him. And he gives it from beginning to end and then concludes by saying that if anyone adds anything to it and calls it the doctrine of Christ, they come of evil and hell standeth ready to receive them. now continuing on with David Whitmer's address, I do not mean to persecute Joseph, the translator of the Book of Mormon. I love him, and I love Joseph, his son, and believe him to be a good man. Joseph, like many of those of old whom God had chosen, fell into error. And why would we want to follow any man into error? Should we put our trust in the arm of flesh? Nay, verily. There never lived but one perfect man, and that was Christ, and he is our only lawgiver. Therefore we should take great heed and compare with the written word all doctrines and laws and revelations coming through any man. For any man can fall into error and lead everyone into error who trusts in man. God chooses the weak things of this world so that man should not put their trust in man and make flesh their arm, but put their trust in God only. It is just in God's wisdom that everyone who is not living sufficiently spiritual to discern between truth and error should be led into error. God called Saul and many others of old who afterward fell into error and lost the spirit knowing that they would fall, so as to let everyone be led into error by them who had such little faith in God as to make a man their God and trust in the arm of flesh, instead of putting their whole faith and trust in God only and heeding Him alone. God suffered them to be led into error because of their transgressions and lack of faith in Him. Christ has spoken, and the voice of God has declared from the heavens, Hear ye him. His teachings in the Book of Mormon and the New Testament are the same. But the Latter-day Saints have another book of doctrine, the Doctrine and Covenants, in which are the doctrines that Christ never taught to the Twelve at Jerusalem, nor to the Twelve upon this continent. The Latter-day Saints believe these new doctrines which do not agree with the teachings of Christ. Why do they believe them? Because they are putting too much trust in a man. This has been the mistake of God's people in all ages past. Read the scriptures and observe how very soon the great majority of God's people always fell into error by trusting in man. Men who were humble when God chose them, but afterward fell into error. If men do not live near enough to God to discern error when it comes, then it may appear as an angel of light, for instance, polygamy, and God suffers them to be led into error because of their transgressions. See how many of the prophets whom God called afterward fell into error, Saul, David, Solomon, and many prophets in Israel. Whitmer then touches on his hope for the future, stating that he, quote, "...trusts that the day is not far distant when the honest in heart among you, and among all believers in the Book of Mormon, may all be one with us upon the doctrine of Christ, working by the power and gifts of God to prepare the way for the gospel to go to the house of Israel." Christ commanded the Nephites to write his teachings, for they were to come down to us as the fullness of his gospel to us. And why is it, oh, why is it that you will not take the words of Christ himself and lay down your contentions and disputations, taking his plain, simple teachings which he has given us in the book? As you know, the teachings of Christ are the same in the New Testament and in the Book of Mormon, but on account of the plain and precious things being taken from the Bible, there is room therein for disputations on some doctrinal points. But the teachings of Christ in the Book of Mormon are pure, plain, simple, and full. End quote. Whitmer goes on to say, quote, In June of 1829, The translation of the Book of Mormon was finished. God gave it to us as his holy word and left us men to work out our own salvation and set in order the Church of Christ according to the written word. He left us as men to receive his Spirit as we walked worthy to receive it. And his Spirit guides men unto all truth, but the Spirit of man guides men into error. When God had given us the Book of Mormon and a few revelations in 1829 by the same means that the book was translated, commanding us to rely upon the written word in establishing the church, he had done his part and had left us to do our part and to be guided by the Holy Ghost as we walked worthy to receive. God works with men according to their faith and obedience. He has unchangeable spiritual laws which he cannot break, and he could not be so merciful as to give more of his spirit to any man than that man was worthy to receive by his faith and obedience. In the beginning we walked humble and worthy to receive a great portion of the Spirit of God, and we were guided rightly at first in establishing the church, but soon began to drift into error because we heeded our own desires too much instead of relying solely on God and being led entirely by His Holy Spirit. How easy it is for man to drift into errors and think at the time that he is doing God's will. Brethren, few of us know how wily and cunning Satan works, and how easy a man can be deceived and led into errors. At times when Brother Joseph would attempt to translate, He would look into the interpreters and found he was spiritually blind and could not translate. He told us that his mind dwelt too much on earthly things and various causes would make him incapable of proceeding with the translation. When in this condition, he would go out and pray. And when he became sufficiently humble before God, he could then proceed with the translation. Now we see how very strict the Lord is and how he requires the heart of man to be just right in his sight before he can receive revelation from him when the book of mormon was in the hands of the printer more money was needed to finish the printing of it we were waiting on martin harris who was doing his best to sell a part of his farm in order to raise the necessary funds after a time hiram smith and others began to get impatient thinking that martin was too slow and under transgression for not selling his lands at once even if at a great sacrifice brother hiram thought they should not wait any longer on martin harris and that the money should be raised in some other way he was wrong in thus judging brother martin because he was doing all he could towards selling his land Brother Hiram said it had been suggested to him that some of the brethren might go to Toronto, Canada and sell a copyright of the Book of Mormon for considerable money, and he persuaded Joseph to inquire the Lord about it. Joseph concluded to do so. He had not yet given up the year and Thummim. Joseph looked in and received a revelation that some of the brethren should go to Toronto, Canada and that they would sell the copyright of the Book of Mormon. Hiram Page and Oliver Cowdery went to Toronto on this mission, but they failed entirely to sell the copyright, returning without any money. Joseph was at my father's house when they returned. I was there also, and I am an eyewitness to these facts. Jacob Whitmer and John Whitmer were also present when Hiram Page and Oliver Cowdery returned from Canada. Well, we were all in great trouble, and we asked Joseph how it was that he had received a revelation from the Lord for some brethren to go to Toronto and sell the copyright, and the brethren had utterly failed their undertaking. Joseph did not know how it was, so he inquired of the Lord about it, and behold, the following revelation came through the interpreters. According to the revelation, quote, Some revelations are of God, some revelations are of men, and some revelations... Are of the devil. So we see that the revelation to go to Toronto and sell the copyright was not of God, but was of the devil or of the heart of a man. When a man inquires the Lord concerning a matter, if he is deceived by his own carnal desires and is in error, he will receive an answer according to his erring heart, but it will not be a revelation from the Lord. This was a lesson for our benefit and we should have profited by it in the future more than we did without much explanation you can see the error of hiram smith in thinking evil of martin harris without a cause and desiring to leave him out of the publication of the book and also the error of brother joseph in listening to the persuasions of men and inquiring of the Lord to see if they might not go to Toronto and sell the copyright of the Book of Mormon, when it was made known to Brother Joseph that the will of the Lord was to have Martin Harris raise the money. Remember this matter, brethren. It is important. Farther on, I will give you references of Scripture on this point, showing you that this is God's way of dealing with His people. Now is it wisdom to put your trust in Joseph Smith and believe all of his revelations in the Doctrine and Covenants to be of God? Every one who does not desire to be of Paul or Apollos or of Joseph, but desires to be of Christ, will say that it is not wisdom to put our trust in him and believe his revelations as if from God's own mouth. I will say here that I could tell you other false revelations that came through brother Joseph as a mouthpiece. But this will suffice. Many of Brother Joseph's revelations were never printed. The revelation to go to Canada was written down on paper, but was never printed. When Brother Joseph was humble, he had the Spirit of God with him. And when he was not humble, he did not have the Spirit. Brother Joseph gave many true prophecies when he was humble before God. But this is no more than many of the brethren did brother joseph's true prophecies were almost all published but those of the other brethren were not i could give you the names of many who gave great prophecies which came to pass i will name a few brothers ziba peterson hiram page oliver cowdrey parley p pratt orson pratt peter whitmer christian whitmer john whitmer myself and others had the gift of prophecy Hiram Page prophesied a few days before the stars fell in November 1833 that the stars would fall from the heaven and frighten many people. This prophecy was given in my presence. I could give you many instances of true prophecies which came through the above-named brethren, but I desire to be brief. I could also tell you of some false prophecies which some of them gave when they were not living humble." I would like to stop here and insert a fact that David Whitmer and others have shared elsewhere. And that is that all of the early revelations that came during the time when Joseph was translating the plates came through the Urim and Thummim. It was some of these prophecies that came forth in purity that the leadership of the church later modified to fit with their new doctrines. With that in mind, let us continue with Whitmer's address. Quote, After the translation of the Book of Mormon was finished in the early spring of 1830, before April 6th, when Joseph gave up the Urim Thumman, he told me as well as the rest that he was through with the work that the Lord had given him the gift to perform, except now to preach the gospel. He told us that we would all have to depend on the Holy Ghost hereafter to be guided into truth and obtain the will of the Lord. The revelations after this time came through Joseph as mouthpiece. That is, he would inquire of the Lord, pray, and ask concerning a matter, and then speak out the revelation, which he thought to be a revelation from the Lord. But sometimes he was mistaken about it being the word of the Lord. As we have seen, some revelations are from God and some are not. In this manner, through brother Joseph as mouthpiece, came every revelation to establish new doctrines and offices which disagree with the New Covenant in the Book of Mormon and the New Testament. I would have you to remember this fact. It is all a mistake about the church being organized on April 6th, 1830, as I will show. We were as fully organized spiritually before April 6th as we were on that day. The reason why we met on that day was this. The world had been telling us that we were not a regularly organized church, and that we had no right to officiate in the ordinance of marriage or hold church property, etc., and that we should organize according to the laws of the land. On this account, we met at my father's house in Fayette, New York, on April 6, 1830, to attend to this matter of organizing according to the laws of the land. You can see this from section 17, Doctrine and Covenants. The church was organized on April 6th, quote, agreeable to the laws of the country, end quote. It says after this, by the will and commandments of God. But this revelation came through brother Joseph as mouthpiece. Now, brethren, how can it be that the church was any more organized spiritually on April 6th than it was before that time? There were six elders and about 70 members before April 6th and the same number of elders and members after that day. I do not consider that the church was any more organized or established in the eyes of God on that day than it was the previous to that day. I consider that on that day the first error was introduced into the Church of Christ, and that error was Brother Joseph being ordained as prophet seer and revelator to the church the holy ghost was with us in more power during the eight months previous to april 6 1830 than ever at any time thereafter almost everyone who was baptized received the holy ghost in power some prophesying some speaking in tongues The heavens were open to some, and all the signs which Christ promised would follow the believers were with us abundantly. We were a humble, happy people, and loved each other as brethren should love. Just before April 6, 1830, some of the brethren began to think that the church should have a leader, just like the children of Israel wanted a king. Brother Joseph finally inquired of the Lord about it. He must have had a desire himself to be their leader, which desire in any form is not of God. For Christ said, If any man desire to be first, the same shall be last of all, and a servant of all. He that would be great, let him be your servant. For he that is least among you all, the same shall be great. A true and humble follower of Christ will never have any desire to lead or be first or to seek the praise of men or brethren. Desiring any prominence whatsoever is not humility, but it is pride. It is seeking praise of mortals instead of the praise of God. Joseph received a revelation that he should be the leader, that he should be ordained by Oliver Cowdery as prophet, seer, and revelator to the church, and that the church should receive his words as if from God's own mouth, satan surely rejoiced on that day for he then saw that in time he could overthrow them remember some revelations are of god some revelations are of man and some revelations are of the devil god allowed them to be answered according to their erring desires they were like the children of israel wanting a king and god gave them a king but it was to their final destruction He gave the church a leader, but it proved their destruction and final landing of the majority of them in Salt Lake Valley in polygamy, believing that their leader had received a revelation from God to practice this abomination. This error of setting Joseph Smith aside as prophet, seer, and revelator to the church was the first error that crept into the church. None of us detected it then. We had all the confidence in brother Joseph, thinking that as God had given him so great a gift as to translate the Book of Mormon, that everything he would do must be right. That is what I thought about it. You see how we trusted too much in man instead of going to God in humility and to his written word to see if we were proceeding rightly. It grieves me much to think that I was not more careful and did not rely upon the teachings of Christ in the written word. But we were then young in years, and all of us were mere babes in Christ. Brother Joseph and myself were only 25 years of age. Although Brother Joseph was in this high office, he was humble most of the time, and he and all of us had the Spirit with us when we were humble. But as I have stated, we did not have the Spirit with us in power as a body after this, as we did before April 6, 1830. I want the brethren to understand me concerning this error of ordaining Brother Joseph to that office on April 6th. Not at all do I mean to say that I believe the church was then rejected of God. What occurred on that day was this. One of the elders of the church, Joseph, was led into a grievous error, and the members acquiesced in it. In time, it proved to be a most grievous error, being the cause of the trouble which afterwards befell the people of God. They put their trust in brother Joseph and received his revelations as if they were God's own mouth. Quoting from Jeremiah 17.5 Thus saith the Lord, Cursed be the man that trusteth in man and maketh flesh his arm. This has been a great curse of the work of God in these last days. Nearly all of the church have continued to heed the words of men as if from God's own mouth, following man into one error and doctrine after another from year to year, even down into the doctrine of polygamy. When Christ came into the world, the doctrine of a one-man leader to the church was not taught by him, and we are positively under Christ and his teachings in the written word. The Book of Mormon tells us plainly, the words of Christ are to be made known in the sealed record of the Nephites and in the record of the Jews, the Bible, and this excludes the Book of Doctrine and Covenants. The next grievous error which crept into the Church was in ordaining high priests in June of 1831. This error was introduced at the instigation of Sidney Rigdon. The office of high priest was never spoken of, and never thought of being established in the Church until Rigdon came in. Remember that we had been preaching from August 1829 until June of 1831, almost two years, and we had baptized about two thousand members into the Church of Christ and had not one high priest. During 1829, several times we were told by Brother Joseph that an elder was the highest office in the church. In Kirtland, Ohio, in June 1831, at a conference of the church, the first high priests were ordained into the church. Brother Joseph ordained Lyman Wright, John Murdoch, Harvey Whitcock, Hiram Smith, Reynolds Cahoon, and others to the office of high priest. When they were ordained, right there at that time, the devil caught and bound Harvey Whitlock so that he could not speak, his face being twisted into a demon-like shape. Also, John Murdoch and others were caught by the devil in a similar manner. Now, brethren, now, brethren, do you not see that the displeasure of the Lord was upon their proceeding in ordaining high priests? Of course it was. These facts are recorded in the history of the church, Rigdon was a thorough Bible scholar, a man of fine education, and a powerful orator. He soon worked himself deep into Brother Joseph's affections and had more influence over him than any man living. He was Brother Joseph's private counselor and his most intimate friend and brother for some time after they met. Brother Joseph rejoiced, believing that the Lord had sent him this great and mighty man, Sidney Rigdon, to help him in the work. Poor brother Joseph. He was mistaken about this. And likewise, all of the brethren were mistaken. For we thought at the time just as brother Joseph did. But alas, in a few years we found out different. Sidney Rigdon was the cause of almost all the errors which were introduced while he was in the church. I believe Rigdon to have been the instigator of the secret organization known as the Danites, which was formed in Far West in June of 1838. In Kirtland, Ohio, in 1831, Rigdon would expound the Old Testament scriptures of the Bible and Book of Mormon in his way to Joseph, concerning the priesthood, high priests, etc., and would persuade Brother Joseph to inquire of the Lord about this doctrine and that doctrine. And of course, a revelation would always come, just as they had desired it. Rigdon finally persuaded Brother Joseph to believe that the high priests, which had such great power in ancient times, should be in the Church of Christ today. He had Brother Joseph inquire of the Lord about it, and they received an answer according to their erring desires. Remember that this revelation came like the one to ordain Brother Joseph, prophet, seer, and revelator to the Church. It came through Brother Joseph as mouthpiece, and not through the Yerim and Thummim. Remember also that some revelations are of God, some revelations are of man, and some revelations are of the devil. False spirits, which come as an angel of light, are abroad in the earth to deceive, if it were possible, the very elect. Those whom Satan can deceive and lead into error, he deceives. Now do not understand me to say that I think a man who is deceived about high priests being in the church is going to lose his soul. I am not judging. God is the judge. But if God did not mean for this order of high priests to be ordained in the church of Christ, it is a serious error to have added that office to the church. And if God did not mean for brother Joseph to set himself up as seer to the church, and the church to receive his revelations as if from God's own mouth? I tell you, brethren, it is a most serious error. And if you are an error on the gathering of Israel and building the city, New Jerusalem, and you are an error, it is a serious error, and likewise the other doctrines of error which are taught in the Book of Doctrine and Covenants. In this manner, the revelations came through brother Joseph as mouthpiece from time to time. Brother Joseph would listen to the persuasions of men and inquire of the Lord concerning different things, and the revelations would come just as they desired and thought in their own hearts that it would be. Marvel not that we began to be led in error so soon. The children of Israel went into gross error in forty days following Aaron while Moses was in the mount. Many of the Latter-day Saints believe that it is impossible for Brother Joseph to have fallen. I will give you some evidence upon this matter, which I suppose you will certainly accept, showing that Brother Joseph belonged into a class of men who could fall into error and blindness. I quote from a revelation which came through the Yerm and July 1828. It is a revelation to Brother Joseph, chastising him for his errors. And quoting that revelation, Remember, remember, that it is not the work of God that is frustrated, but the work of men. For although a man may have many revelations, and have power to do many mighty works, yet, if he boasts in his own strength, and sets at naught the counsels of God, and follows after the dictates of his own will and carnal desires, he must fall, and incur the vengeance of a just God upon him. Behold, you have been entrusted with these things, but how strict were your commandments. And remember also the promises which were made to you if you did not transgress them. And behold, how oft have you transgressed the commandments and the laws of God and have gone on to the persuasions of men. Behold, thou art Joseph, and thou was chosen to do the work of the Lord. This was the gift to translate the Book of Mormon. But because of transgression, if thou art not aware, thou wilt fall. But remember, God is merciful. Thou hast suffered the counsel of thy director to be trampled upon from the beginning. So we see that Brother Joseph was very weak and liable to fall, even while translating the Book of Mormon, the time when he should have been the strongest, because he was in constant communion with God and in using the Urim and Thummim. Now, if he was so weak and liable to err at that time, is it any wonder that he erred in 1830, or after that time? Of course not. Ah, brethren, great are the mysteries of God. His ways are not man's ways. He chooses the weak things of earth, weak men, so that men should not put his trust in man and make flesh his arm, but put his trust in God only and rely upon that which is written god put man on the earth to be a free agent unto himself to choose and discern between good and evil between truth and error and doctrine it is necessary for man to be tempted and tried in every way conceivable in order for him to prove himself and overcome every snare device and stumbling block of satan to fit him for a higher state of happiness hereafter You know the scriptures teach that Satan's devices may appear as an angel of light. For instance, a false doctrine being revealed to a prophet who gives it to the church as if it came from God. When the devices of Satan do appear in this way, every man who is not living sufficiently humble to have a good portion of God's spirit to detect the error is led into believing it. And it is justice in God's wisdom that he should thus be led because of his not living as he should live, so as to have more of the Holy Spirit. Now you have thought that because Joseph Smith was given a gift to translate the book, that he could not fall into error, and you worship and give credit to the man, when all the credit is due to God. You should think on this matter. Brother Joseph did not write a word of the Book of Mormon. It was already written by holy men of God who dwelt upon this land. God gave to Brother Joseph the gift to see the sentences in English. Oliver Cowdery had the same gift at one time. Now when we look at it aright, the fact of Brother Joseph having the gift to translate the book, is that any reason why you should put any more trust in him than any other man? Not at all. Is that any reason why he should be a man who could not fall? No, not at all. As you see from what the Lord told him, he was a very weak man and liable to fall even while translating the book. I give you my testimony that the Lord had to chastise brother Joseph time and again, as a father would a disobedient child, to help him through the translation of the Book of Mormon. God knows that I do not mean to persecute brother Joseph. As I have said, I loved him. I am not crying him down or preaching self-righteousness, but I desire to get you to comprehend the sin of trusting in the arm of flesh by receiving brother joseph's revelations as if they were from god's own mouth especially when some of his revelations conflict with the teachings of christ in the two sacred books i tell you brethren you are trusting in the arm of flesh and being in blindness you cannot see it End quote. i think that's a good place to stop for now as I would like to make a few comments, and then we can pick this up next week, where we'll likely conclude this series on David Whitmer's address to all believers as being a voice from the dust. For some people, hearing what David Whitmer had to say for the first time, I'm sure it might be a bit of a shock. For others, perhaps a confirmation or a possible explanation for some questions that have long gone unanswered. Either way, if his statements are truthful, and we have the testimony of many prominent citizens who knew Whitmer for many long years, and even Emma Smith stated when she was old that she believed David Whitmer to be, quote, an honest and truthful man, I think what he states may be relied on, quote. Many of the things David Whitmer shares can be hard to hear, particularly if Joseph Smith or the institutional church is your foundation. But if your foundation is Christ, as the scriptures tell us it should be, then your faith should not be shaken. Whitmer's intent is not to tear down Joseph Smith, but to free you from the sin of trusting in a man, in any man, and instead trust in God alone. And in the two sacred books of scripture that he gave to us, to guide and instruct us along with the Holy Spirit, here is what I would challenge you, the listeners, to do. Read the New Testament and the Book of Mormon again for the first time. And what I mean by that is pray to God that he will help you to remove your LDS or RLDS goggles so that you can see the text clearly without letting your traditions or the institutional church interpret everything for you but instead pray that the Holy Spirit expand your understanding and show you what you've been missing. A friend of mine, Todd Peterson, had an experience with the Lord a few years back where he was told that we, Restoration peoples, needed to get back to the first work that God began with Joseph Smith. In praying for understanding, the initial work that God started with Joseph Smith Was the work of the Book of Mormon, not only to translate it, but then to be changed by the truths therein. For within that book is the way given for us to experience that mighty change in our hearts, and to be born again into a new creature in Christ. And this was, by far, the most important thing the early saints needed to do. Now, We turn eight years old and get baptized into an institutional church with all its traditions, play church for the rest of our lives, and call it good. But where are the signs of the believers? Along with bringing forth the Book of Mormon, having our understanding corrected by it, and being born again, there was also the call to take this record to the remnant of the seat of Lehi, even to the Native Americans not to convert them to your church organization or get them to accept your prophets or your priesthood or, in fine, convert them to the errors of your ways. But instead, we are supposed to reveal to them the covenants which were made to their fathers, that they might awaken spiritually and take up their mighty call and fulfill their destiny. Do you not realize that our fate is tied to them, Manasseh, is the ignition key. Without them, we're going nowhere fast, and Israel cannot be restored. We foolishly deceived ourselves into thinking we could build Zion without them, and yet we are told in the Nephite record that this land of promise is unto the seed of Lehi, first and foremost, and that it is they who will build the new Jerusalem upon this land. And only if we sufficiently repent, Can we be numbered among the house of Israel and assist them? You see, they aren't to join with us. We are to join with them. And yet we have left them in immense poverty all these years while we profited from their loss. Oh, foolish Gentiles, why have we not understood the words plainly delivered to us in the Book of Mormon? Yes, Ephraim has a tremendous role to play, but only if we first humble ourselves and learn not to lead, but how to serve. If we do not humble ourselves and repent, we remain as Gentiles still. And we, our proud denominations and our temples, will be swept off this land. I believe I've said enough. I have greatly enjoyed hearing from several of our listeners in recent weeks, and I would love to hear from all of you. If you wish to share something, make a comment, or ask a question, you can email me at teacherinzion, that's all one word, no spaces, at gmail.com. And if I haven't totally offended you, I hope you will join us again. Until next time, God bless. Join us for discussion in our Facebook group, facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash hope of Zion or at our YouTube channel, teacher in Zion. That's the word teacher space and in Zion spelled as one word. My books can be found at amazon.com forward slash author forward slash Douglas Hatton. That's H-A-T like a hat on your head. T-E-N like the number 10. Until next time,